Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Before we begin today, a quick announcement. On November 10th, there will be a virtual conference put on by the Global DCA, which is the Global Digital Currency Association, entitled Defying Expectations. It's on November 10. It's completely virtual, totally free for all to join. Online registration can be signed up for at global-dca.org org forward slash news the keynote speaker from ftx the ceo and founder sam bankman fried among many others speaking at this wonderful event and the purpose is to help people utilize decentralized finance to help drive institutional performance now Without further ado, we'll get into our podcast for the day. And welcome, everybody, to the Irish Tech News Podcast, to the Crypto Corner. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, where I interview founders, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, musicians, artists, filmmakers, photographers, you you name it, in crypto and blockchain. And today, I I have an amazing guest today. Uh, his name is Richard Bose. He is the co-founder of the Satoshi Block Dojo. Uh, Richard, welcome to the show today. Very much, Jamil. Nice to nice to be here. Awesome. Um, so I start off with the same question for everybody, and I'm going to start with the same question for you, and I always get okay. amazing, interesting answers. So what is your background, and is it a logical background for what you do now? Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting question. Um, okay, my background, uh, I, I studied multimedia, uh, visual communications and journalism, and then I went into tech journalism. And then I discovered Bitcoin in about 2012, May 2012. Uh, and I dived very deeply into who Satoshi might be um, and uh, got some success with my journalism there. Um, and I've been on the trail ever since. So it, it makes logical sense to me that I'm doing Satoshi Block Dojo. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think crypto, I've had it, it has its ups and downs, but I, I think generally speaking, yes, uh, it makes sense for me. Thanks for having me on the show, by the way. It's very nice to be, nice to be engaged like this. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So yeah. let's so let's talk about the Satoshi Block Jojo, uh, Dojo. Yeah. What is it all about and, uh, you know, what goes on at the dojo? Okay, so the dojo is really a training school for people building on Bitcoin SV. Uh, Bitcoin SV has the largest blockchain out there. I mean, it it has a, I think we're doing one or two gigabyte blocks regularly now. Um, There's no scale ceiling where we fully, the BSV chain fully intends to go up to petabyte size blocks which just means if you're a business and you want to put data on the blockchain, BSV is kind of the only option. Uh, And the larger the blocks get, the cheaper it gets to 
put data on the chain. So the more data you can cram on there, the lower price you can charge consumers. And eventually uh, that cost gets so low that it gets extremely competitive and you can do all sorts of things on BSV that you won't be able to do on other chains. So it's just business logic. It's straightforward, pure and simple business logic. All of the businesses in the world can fit on Bitcoin SV and they can't fit on every on, on any other chain. So the dojo is there to encourage people to build on it, to fund them. We're offering 10 grand cash and a 12-week training program. We offer lots of mentors and mentorship. Uh, we've got a technology partner that's offering um, tuition in uh, coding, uh, multiple APIs that you can plug into in order to, to compile stuff onto to Bitcoin script. Um, that, that's our technology partner is called Vianex. And our, our CTO, Robin Coetzer, is the recipient of the Satoshi Nakamoto Scholarship. So he's, in fact, sort of Craig Wright's prodigy, fundamentally. Um, and, and he's a genius, frankly. He's doing genomics at uh, PhD Genomics in Cambridge uh, College at the moment. Um, so, yes, uh, we're providing an awful lot of technical support uh, and, and, and to, our, to our startups. So... Uh, that's part and parcel of the dojo. Uh, is that, that that's sort of an introduction there? Obviously, we've got a fantastic team, which I'm happy to talk about. Um, if you'd yeah, like, like to yeah. know more about them, let's talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. Um, our CEO is called Craig Massey. Craig is a serial entrepreneur. He's a tech entrepreneur. He's on his eighth. This is his eighth startup. He's done uh, seven previous startups, five of which were successful, and I think four of which were multi-million dollar exits. So he's a very successful tech entrepreneur. He's very enthusiastic about the, the prospect of the dojo. Uh, fundamentally, we offer capital and support up to, to support to our startups. We take 10% equity in return for our, for our capital uh, and support. That's Craig Massey's brainchild, fundamentally. He is the, the driving force behind this. So he's offering lots and lots of expertise and mentorship uh, to new entrepreneurs in terms of how to create their businesses, how to find customers, how to database um, and, and create sales targets, how to do a financial model, all of those kind of things. So Craig's really the, the powerhouse behind building the businesses. We're planning to build 250 businesses in four years. So we're so we'll be like the tech stars fundamentally of blockchain. The reason we've got such big ambitions is simply because the ambitions of Bitcoin SV are just so vast. I mean, there's just so much opportunity there. We think that it will be the new we uh, layer for payments, a replacement for TCP/IP, and that all bank-issued cash will go over it. Well, not perhaps all, but lots and lots of bank-issued cash enough digital currency for 8 billion people, digital fiat currency. And so as a consequence of that, we actually think that everybody will start building services that that, that settle on the blockchain. Uh, and that's why 250 companies, just because it's an enormous open playing field for anyone to build new businesses. Um, the reason, the economics behind that are fairly straightforward. We think uh, someone like Visa or MasterCard can settle a payment for uh, maybe under a penny, maybe around a penny. They're charging their consumers maybe 30 pence for using their network. If Visa and MasterCard are customers, uh, they can charge, we, the, the network will charge them about a thousandth of a penny 
instead of a penny to settle that transaction, which means they can charge their consumer, their their customers, I don't know, tenth of a penny, and they would still make a hundred x on their business, but they would be saving their consumers thirty x or even more than that, maybe a hundred x. So it's a win-win situation for payment providers. It's a win-win situation for consumers. It's a win-win situation situation for us. And the profit margins are so vast that it seems like a no-brainer that everyone will end up on Bitcoin SV. Now, it's a it's a gamble, but there it is. That's the market. Awesome. So, awesome. so let me ask you this. So everything, yeah. everybody wins. And if entrepreneurs want to build on BSV with you, what kind mm. of background do they need in coding in order to do that? So, I mean, ultimately, we're looking for two-person teams. We think one technical person who can code uh, and one business brain. Now, it's not entirely necessary for that. We can uh, accept one entrepreneur, and we can do all the coding you know, abroad in Pakistan or, or India or wherever. We can outsource the coding. That's not too much trouble. They get technical support from Robin uh, inside the dojo, uh, and they get access to the APIs and all that kind of stuff. If they can't use that, then obviously they can use some of the budget that we give them to uh, contract a team overseas and use, use the tools that we're providing. So they don't have to be super technical. Um, what we are interested, uh, although, of course, here's, here's the thing about this. If they are technical, there's an enormous amount of building that can be done on BSV. It's just, it's an open playing field. I mean, fundamentally, you've seen what the kind of development that happens on Ethereum. The kind of technical development that has been happening on Ethereum has a, a lot of it has been problem solving because Ethereum has so many fundamental design flaws that need solving and that actually can't be solved. They're fundamental. But what we've seen is a lot of building out of tooling then to try and solve those problems. BSV is slightly different in that it doesn't have those sort of fundamental flaws. It doesn't. It's it scales by design, um, and it's got its its regulatory model in order. It's got its economic model in order. So a lot of that stuff doesn't need solving. What it, what what we do need to do on BSV is build out uh, the the kind of layers on which you can then build things. So it's similar to Ethereum, there's lots of work that needs doing. So the more technical you are, the more profit there is uh, to gain because you can be building tools for more people. Um, so you don't have to be technical to join the program, but the, the likelihood of making bigger businesses that are more profitable, you know, it's, it's exponentially increases the more technical you are. Great. So let's, you mentioned Ethereum. So let's talk a little bit mm. about Ethereum, right? Uh, in your view, uh, BSV functions better yeah. than Ethereum. And why, yeah. why is that? Um, Ethereum is has a sort of serial processing model where all of the nodes have to uh, process all of the data that comes in every 10 minutes per block. So they have to kind of make sure that it's an account-based model. They have to make sure that all of the accounts link up. And so they process those accounts in serial. A leads to B leads to C leads to D. And it means that the slowest uh, computer on the node network has to be, it is the fastest that the system can go. So you might have a supercomputer ahead of the processing uh, queue, and they get, like, get all of their, uh, their calculations done really, really fast. Well, they've still got to wait for the last guy to catch up. Now, 
in the UTXO model, it's it's parallelized. Uh, we don't uh, we don't calculate all the the state every ten minutes. So it's not an account based model. We're not doing a leads to B, etc. In 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 every block. What we do is we just leave the UTXO set as it is, and then we calculate everything in in parallel. Which means you can have computers come onto the network, calculate just their little bit of the UTXO model, whatever uh, payment channels or accounts that they're 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 calculating, and then they can peel off and leave. So in in the UTXO model, we can we can and I tend to think of it like a, a calculator into which you put the world. You can put all of the processes that are happening in the world inside Bitcoin at scale. When I say Bitcoin, I mean Bitcoin SV, inside the block at scale, and you can calculate everything in parallel. Now, um, what this also means is that if uh, we think that there's a there's a, a regulatory model that's built in from Bitcoin from day one, which is that coins can move under court order without private keys. Now, a lot of people say that's nonsense and it's myth and it's bullshit. We happen to think that it's actually correct. We think that on, in the case that coins are court ordered to move without signatures, uh, the account-based model will collapse. So if you moved coins on Ethereum, none of the accounts would verify and the whole blockchain would hang. It would just simply stop. Whereas in the parallelized model, if you move coins without keys, well, all of the UTXOs don't need to be calculated in serial. So it's just a question of moving some coins from one address to another, and the chain can carry on. So the parallelized model works. The serial model doesn't work. Um, so this, the, and the fundamental flaw with, with Ethereum is that it can't scale. So what you're what they've done is they've limited it to 15 transactions per second um, because of the block size, and they won't scale the block size. So uh, so they're having to build these second and third layers on top, which are not not blockchain. I mean, they're not, they're not really the, inside the block. The solution is not inside the block. So it's a bit of a funny one. They're not they're doing this hybrid system, and they're trying to fundamentally they're trying to solve a problem that's not a problem. What they're trying to do is, is make sure that it's completely censorship resistant and it can never be shut down and all this kind of stuff. And they're making it more and more uneconomical. So you can't guess what a transaction fee is going to be. On Ethereum, obviously, if gas fees go up to something like $200 or something like that, it's nonsense. BSV is very simple. The block size gets bigger and the fees go down. And the, the miners come to market, they offer bigger and bigger blocks for lower and lower prices to the market. And they simply, the market simply decides what the cost of a, a transaction will be. Eventually, those costs get so small that you can do all kinds of parallelized computing in real time uh, for payments. So you can charge for uh, compute cycles, for processing cycles. You can charge maybe a millionth of a penny. And that's for an operation or a function. And that's what we're really looking at here. We're looking at a massively parallelized computing system for the world. And that's Bitcoin. And, and, and it's something you can't do on BTC because they batch transactions and it's horribly inefficient. Um, they've, they've, de they've gotten rid of all of the scripting capabilities in BTC, so you can't do any of this. They've limited the block size. Uh, and they've also introduced this funny thing, this SegWit thing that has removed, uh, sort of messed with the signature scheme. 
so they've, they've broken Bitcoin in BTC. It's very much not Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're BSV guys, we're kind of fundamentalists and it's quite difficult for us to be heard. But actually, um, you know, we're purists in the sense that BSV follows the Bitcoin white paper very, very accurately. And it, and obviously the chain goes back to the original release in January 2009. So BSV is Bitcoin from our perspective. So you mentioned Ethereum fees and you said $200. Mm. And that's being really conservative because I've seen a lot more, <laughs> you know. Um, mm. But with, and I want to do a comparison with Ethereum and with Bitcoin. I mean, mm. with versus, you know, um, BTC, of course. Um, but let's talk Ethereum first and mm. compare it to BSV. Mm. Are you able to, on BSV, create meme coins or other things that, that yes. you know, um, yes. that you can see on Ethereum right now? Yes, of course. We can do all of that. But it's BSV is Turing complete, which simply means you can calculate anything that is calculable. Now, either a system is Turing complete and it can do all of those things. Or it's not Turing complete and it can't. BSV Bitcoin is Turing complete. It can do all of the tokenization stuff. Anything that you see on Ethereum, we can do a thousand times better and a thousand times cheaper and faster. So you could see all of the DeFi stuff being done on BSV, uh, but it has no scale ceiling. So you start doing it now, and then it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Yeah. And then. Compared to BTC, you mentioned a couple of the mm. technical differences, right? Um, mm. How about the environmental impact and other things that are secular in, in narrative? Yeah, okay. Um, Bitcoin, as designed, is a very, very efficient system. Now, if you just take one, um, one megabyte block on BTC and you compare that to a one gigabyte block, which is a million megabytes, uh, if we are filling uh, blocks on uh, BSV that are a gigabyte size, we're a million times more efficient than BTC. Um, but it doesn't stop there because obviously we go up to petabytes, so we become billions of times more efficient. Now, you might say, yeah, but you're only settling Bitcoin transactions. Well, no. If you scale the block size uh, and banks start issuing their digital tokens, their pounds and dollars, like Tether, uh, on directly on the BSV blockchain or even on their own blockchains, and then we just wrap up those dollars and pounds then actually what you get is a clearing and settlement system for 150 central banks. And the consequence of that is that you can, uh, they can cut down on their server network infrastructure. So they're not burning loads and loads of electricity running their banks. Now they're just using the public network to send money around. And the, cost, and the consequence of that is their costs go down massively, their energy use goes down massively. So really the efficiency savings from large blocks are not just a million times or a billion times BTC. They're much more than that because of the, the efficiencies that you then bring to market. The other thing about economically weighted functions, if you're selling processor power, processors can say, I'm being paid for this calculation, but I'm not being paid for that calculation. And the consequence of that is that you get a much, much more efficient computational system in the economy that's therefore finding efficiencies everywhere globally. So it's actually, as designed, Bitcoin is an efficiency engine. It gets more and more efficient at scale. Now, 
The beautiful thing about BSV, and this is not true of Ethereum or any of the other proof of work based currencies, is that <clears throat> it competes for hash power with BTC, which is horribly inefficient. And if you think about what BTC is doing, it's burning loads and loads of energy in pursuit of this rather perverse crypto anarchist utopia libertarian sort of thing where we want to get rid of the government and we want to get rid of law and we want to protect criminals and all this kind of stuff so you just ramp up the energy used to protect all the wrong people the financial criminals who are stealing money and people who aren't paying taxes and people who are trying to get away from the government and away from society and live in their own little castles and citadels and islands and bullshit and you're trying to use all that energy to protect these people well eventually all of the energy gets sucked into completely the wrong ends. It's a very bad system. Now, so it's actually important that we compete. So BTC actually is a fork of, of Bitcoin, where they're, where they're doing this really perverse sort of crypto libertarian anarchist project. Uh, they have tried to co-opt all of the energy into their project, but Bitcoin competes with them. So Bitcoin SV is a competitor, and there can only be one of these networks at scale. So if you have a petabyte-sized block that is settling bank transactions of millions or billions or trillions of dollars every 10 minutes, then even if the payments in Bitcoin are very, very small, I'll calculate. So you might send, for example, $10,000, but it'll cost you a penny in Bitcoin or ten hundredth of a penny in Bitcoin. If you have millions of those payments a second, we're calculating that the returns to miners are much, much greater than the returns to miners on BTC. And as a consequence, miners will switch over from BTC to BSV and they will start mining BSV and BTC will die quite quickly. Now, we don't know when that will happen, but it probably will happen because we live in a data economy and data is so valuable. So if we're putting data inside the block and it's getting secured by miners eventually, that's, that's the end result. So we're very unpopular because we actually want to stop BTC. We think it's a, an enormous inefficient energy hog. Um, Ethereum won't do that at scale. None of the other ones will because they don't compete. So that's uh, that's why we're so unpopular, frankly. <laughs> Interesting. And because of that unpopularity, I guess when I go to CoinGecko as a message at the top, it says BSV has uh, received a 51% attack. Can you explain what that was and how you mitigated that or, or what the current state is of, of yep. that previous attack? Sure. Um, I mean, the attacks have been, have occurred quite frequently this year. Um, I don't know that any of them have been successful. Um, miners typically communicate quite well uh, and are well known on the network. So if some miner is deliberately trying to game the network, they just get shut out. Um that those there was a series of attacks earlier this year certainly most of them were mainly social media attacks so they were attacks at designed to scare people off the protocol designed to get exchanges to delist them and exchanges to think that uh, bsv is insecure it's not insecure uh it is uh the 51 percent attack you can always trace the the funds i think in 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 the one that was successful it was an exchange that wasn't running KYC on its customers. So somebody did a 51% attack, they sold their coins, and then they got them back again. And because the exchange wasn't doing KYC, they don't know who ripped them off. So what it means is if you're an exchange, 
you need to do KYC on your customers. Otherwise, you've got a li massive liability. Um, so, yeah, the 51% attacks are hard. The being delisted off, 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 off exchanges is hard too. But what you have to understand is that if Bitcoin succeeds, if Bitcoin SV succeeds, if Bitcoin from the white paper succeeds, all of the other cryptocurrencies fail by default. And all of the exchanges make money on swapping and uh, you know, exchange fees. They make money on exchanging you know, shit for other shit. So all of their businesses are threatened by BSV. Now, what you can do is you can build exchanges that settle on BSV, which, you ought to, which people ought to be doing, frankly. Um, but I think that comes a little bit later. But, but the, the point here is with the internet stack, you've got your ethernet uh, hardware, at the, at the bottom, you've got TCP, then you've got IP, and then you've got your application layer. Bitcoin is a replacement for TCP. So we only have one, we're, there's only room for one protocol there. And that's why I say it scales and all of the others die by default. Back in the 90s, there were five or six, maybe even as many as 10 different competing internet protocols. Well, we only have one now, we're all on TCP. And there's a good reason for that. We have a common protocol, lingua franca, for everybody who's doing business on the internet. And the same will be true of cryptocurrency. There'll just be one. And then inside of that, we'll have hundreds and thousands and probably millions of different currencies, fiat currencies, community currencies, tokens of all flavors. But there'll be a single protocol. And then we can write other protocols inside of that. In the same way, we've got SMTP for email and other protocols that do other things on the internet. That actually makes sense. <laughs> so it's a little scary. That makes sense. Wow. <laughs> uh, um, so let's talk about the elephant in the room then with BSV, right? Because you mentioned sure. social media, and you think of you know when I think I think social media, I think in quotations, multiple quotations, influencers, right? BSV has a stigma associated mainly due to Craig Wright calling himself Satoshi for a number of years, mm. right? Mm. So BSV has gotten a bad rap. And especially from BTC Maxis, yeah. you know, how do you debunk the stigma? Um, I mean, Wright's approach is just to go and present his his evidence in court. Uh, so, COPA, the the Crypto Open Patent Alliance, have brought this injunction against Wright in a UK court. I think starts in January uh, to stop him from claiming to be Satoshi. And my understanding, and by the way, I've been a, a very close and dedicated student of, of Dr. Wright for the last three years. I've read not everything that he's written, but I've read an awful lot. Uh, I've paid very close attention. I've listened to all of his lectures. Uh, I'm in his MetaNet Slack, so I get to ask him questions when I like um, and drill down on particular things. He's quite terse, but he, he often gives uh, very illuminating answers. And he can be rather difficult, but he's also very nice, I think, quite charming and also very, very bright, uh, terrifyingly bright and, and terrifyingly hardworking in a sense, in a way that you know few of us are. So my impression of Wright, and I say this quite often, is I, I, I think he's uh, a historical industrialist on the, along the lines of uh, uh, Edison or Carnegie. Um, so how does one debunk that? I mean, honestly, I, I, I spread, I spread his uh, theory of Bitcoin videos on YouTube quite widely. I'm always referring to those. Very good lecture series, about 150 hours of lectures on why he designed Bitcoin and how it works and what it does at scale and all of these things. 
Uh, his blog, uh, craigwright.net, is very good. Uh, really goes into great amounts of detail, uh, again, about all of the reasons why he designed it, how he designed it, how it works. Uh, that's very worthwhile. It can be very difficult reading. Um, but the main thing is, Coper have brought this, this injunction, this lawsuit, saying that he's not allowed to say that he's the inventor of his creation. And he's simply going to go along to court and present all of the evidence to the judge and say, here's all the, you know, all the writings and all the research and all the applications for funding and all the things that I did in previously up to the invention of Bitcoin, and here's the invention of Bitcoin, and here are my submissions to the Australian tax office uh, after Bitcoin, and here are all the companies that hold all the assets that I created when I created trusts for the Bitcoins that I mined, etc. I mean, this is not an insignificant amount of evidence. There's a body of evidence about who he is that you just can't make up. And so, you know, the idea that Copa could come along and say, well, you're not who you are. And if you say you are who you're, if you say you are who you are, we're going to try and stop you is absurd, right? It's just, it's not gonna happen. So we're very much waiting for the legal process to, um, to, to set the precedent that he's allowed to then sue uh, for his invention. So he's then going to sue the BTC developers for changing his invention and passing it off as Bitcoin. And this is a, a civil tort, I think. You, you're, uh, the, the BTC developers have fiduciary and tortiary, tortious duties to consumers. So what they're doing is they're saying, this asset is Bitcoin, and they're selling it as Bitcoin, but it's clearly not Bitcoin, as was defined in the white paper. So BTC definitely isn't what Satoshi Nakamoto created and released. And that's what Wright is fighting to protect. He's fighting to protect his baby. So we will see the legal wheels turning. Um, and eventually that it'll come, you know, things will start to come out that explain actually the real workings of Bitcoin and how it's, how it's designed to function. Um, so long answer for you there. But uh, and it, honestly, you have to have an awful lot of patience uh, to stay with the Craig Wright story because it's so convoluted and often quite difficult to understand. But it's fascinating um, and, and it makes a lot of sense. I agree that it's convoluted and I agree that, <laughs> that patience in crypto, you, you know, you do, um, especially this year. Um, but, mm. you know, the convolution, right? So. Mm. How, how can new participants, right, especially mm. with all the convolution, with all the narratives, with all the negativity, with all the FUD, with all the different information, you know, how they, can they start to, you know, know what to actually believe? I mean, I, 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 in some ways, this comes down to authority. If a court... Uh, recognizes that Wright is uh, the rightful owner of the uh, copyright for the, the Bitcoin white paper, and that he's telling the truth. That sets a precedent. Uh, if he can then sue for his rights, uh, that will set precedents and send signals to the market. If he's successful in that, consumers will be able to sue as well. So people will be able to get their money back. They'll say, you sold this to me as Bitcoin, but it's not Bitcoin, it's BTC. So you sold it to me under false pretenses banks will then be forced to uh, tell their shareholders and these big funds that are selling bitcoin etfs and stuff like that they will have to 
advise their shareholders of anything material, i.e. that BTC is not Bitcoin. Uh, exchanges won't be able to sell BTC as Bitcoin. Um, so uh, all of these things start to kind of, all of these narratives really start to unravel. One of the crucial things here is if coins can be moved on chain without keys by court order, um, which again, as I said before, is very controversial, but we think that's entirely possible. It's entirely within the workings of the system. Um, then actually, if you've had Bitcoin stolen from you and it's worth more than $100,000, there will be lawyers out there that will do no win, no fee recovery for you. So they'll say, oh, well, a court order will cost $100,000. But if you've lost a million dollars of Bitcoin, we'll go and get the recovery orders for you. We'll sue the miners. The miners will take a recovery fee because they won't want to fight it. You'll get $900,000 back and we'll take $100,000 fee. Now, if that if this starts to happen, it could happen frequently. It could happen once a day, once a week, twice a week, 10 times a week, who knows? But just like a banking system with people making recovery orders, it could become very, very common. And so at that point, the whole sort of store of value narrative, particularly for the drug dealers on BTC, just falls apart completely. Uh, as soon as that starts to happen, um, consumers can go after their rights, money can be returned, and then ultimately, <laughs> if banks have a model for recovering money uh, on the network, on the blockchain, they can then issue dollars and pounds. So if they have a trillion dollars or pounds stolen off them, and they, they can issue recovery orders now, they can get it back on the blockchain, then that's a regulatory model that allows banks onto the blockchain. So you could see a very, and the only way that you can settle transactions in bulk peer to peer is by having very large blocks and including every transaction as a discrete and separate transaction. So in, the, in that case, the only model that can win is BSV. So in terms of, in terms of kind of educating the regular day-to-day -day consumer about how all this stuff works, I don't think we've got a hope in hell. There's no way we can get we can break the crypto cartels hold on the industry. Uh, they control the media, they control the exchanges, they control the stable coins and liquidity. Um, they control nearly every aspect of the culture, what people think. Uh, so I don't really think there's any particular way of getting through that. You just <clears throat> you grind through it in the legal process, uh, and then you know all of that nonsense, criminal activity just falls apart, it just kind of goes away. But I think it does take time to get through to people. Uh, and it'll take a long time before people, before consumers go, oh, Bitcoin is BSV, we better go and buy a BSV. It's just too difficult at the moment. Thank you. Um, hmm. Thank you. I never, before I joined crypto, I was a database builder. I have never had no idea when I was getting into it that I'd also be considered a, 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 a criminal, a money launderer, or a drug dealer. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it's an amazing experience, right? Uh, you know, so I hear you as far as breaking through narratives. Um, so I have one last question. I want to thank you very much for your time today. Um, it's been an amazing conversation. I learned a lot. And one last question is, how can people find out more information about you, about the dojo, um and possibly even join the dojo how, how can they do that okay um so our website is uh blockdojo.io uh and if you would like to apply 
Our program is offering £10,000 cash and £60,000 worth of support in a 12-week program. There's an apply application form there. You can sign up um, and uh, tell us what your idea is. If you're based in London, that's even better because we like to have our participants come into the dojo. Uh, we run four cohorts a year, so we'll have teams inside the dojo all learning from each other simultaneously. Um, so that's kind of a key offer uh, and key part of the, the program. We really want to get people, you know, working together. So the synergy inside the program. But yeah, the, the best way is to come to the, 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 the website. Um, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. We're block underscore dojo on Twitter as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. <laughs> Thank you, Jamil. Nice, uh, nice to give you some time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it a lot. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.